and welcome back to another episode of By the Fire, where I, Ken, your host, take you through mythical tales from across the Black diaspora. Today, you must be wondering, how is there another episode, even though it's only been a week? Well, I just thought, should I give these people a treat? It's October, it's Halloween, there's even meant to be a full moon this Halloween, so even though we can't be going out because social distancing, it's still a day jam-packed with superstitious occurrences. Oh, is it? So I created a poll online on my Twitter, which is bythefire underscore pod, and I was asking, should I do extra episodes this week, make it weekly? And people said yes. So I gave the people what they wanted. I hope you enjoyed this episode because this episode is the first guest I actually recorded with and his article we deserve to see more black vampires on the screen which was published on blackyouthproject.com those articles were sort of the push that enabled me to create the vampire episode which was released last week check it out if you haven't already and i just thought you know what let me reach out and i reached out to him before i actually created the introduction episode but he was so lovely to talk to he was really responsive and yeah it just I feel like you'll hear it in my voice how nervous I was because this was all the way back in summer but I really hope you do enjoy this episode and I really hope you're able to take something away from this episode. The person who I'll be interviewing in this episode is Andrew Kihi and he's a horror enthusiast and a writer for his own blog Au Revoir Fingernails as well as others and I really hope you enjoy this episode. So thank you, Andrew, for coming. Um, like I mentioned before, I bumped into you um, through your blog post. Um, well, hold on, there you go. We deserve to see more black vampires on the screen. So I'm just like looking a bit to the side because I have a few questions for you. So sure. like the first thing I would like to know is like what made you so much into horror? Um, it was just a, uh, it was kind of like a natural attraction. Um, yeah. My dad used to watch horror movies a lot um like when I was younger and I would just watch them with him yeah as I as I got older he would go to video stores and he would just let me pick out whatever I wanted okay which isn't necessarily like a great parenting style <laughs> no. because like I'm just gonna grab whatever and oh I God. did and so I ended up seeing a ton of horror movies at a very young age and it just stuck with me it's but that's, like it's, that's been my whole whole life <laughs> no to me that's insane because I wonder like how do you want to purposely scale yourself like what like what comes from that does that make sense it's just i i enjoy it because it's like it's like any other kind of movie it's yeah. it's designed or you know media it's designed to make you feel something yeah so like people don't necessarily like feeling sad but they'll watch drama movie after drama movie right definitely because they enjoy feeling how art can change them and I feel yeah. that same way about horror, like being scared and having something that isn't real affect you in reality. There's like yeah. kind of like magic to that. And I just love that. Well, gosh, you know, I, I want to feel that way because when I, when I see horror, because this is all really new to me. When I see horror, I'm just, I'm waiting for the jump scares. <laughs> and I'm just like, no. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. I'm right there with you though. Cause I'm, I'm like, I will, I'll do this thing where I'll just like, I'll cover my ears because it's like the sound. It's the sound, yes. Yeah, like that whole like violin, like screech kind of thing. And so I'll just cover my ears and I'll just wait for it. And I'm scared. I'm scared as hell watching horror movies. I, I love them, but they scare me. Do you go back? Like, do you go back when the thing happens so that 
you're ready for it and then you want to see it again like okay I'm ready I'm not going to be scared now yeah no I, I do I like I do that all the time like I'm just like hey I know what's coming I know it's going to be like right around here and like it'll still get me like a second uh, time. like I I'm not ready for it like ever <laughs> I have honestly, to see it a couple times honestly it's, it's, it's amazing like so like, I wanted to ask like what made you like want to go into writing because you have um, your blog like Orifile Fingernails and I'm going to ask about that name but you know like writing <laughs> as a whole like like what is what is it about writing it um it's it's just a it started as a journaling thing mm. it was more of just like this is a way that I can arrange my thoughts and put them down in a way that they're a tangible physical object so like yeah. I can hold them in my hands so it makes me able to like arrange them better so they're not just kind of floating nebulous in my head yeah and then that kind of just transferred over to me watching like media and like just just writing out how I feel about it and just like mm. reading about the world and writing out how I feel about it it's just it's a good it's like therapy for me yeah. it's a good release so I just I kept I kept doing it and just yeah it was, I've been and doing more and more <laughs> honestly it was like really good and you know the blog name Orava Fingernails like tell me about <laughs> that name <laughs> that okay that is because the I feel like for, for me personally, the scariest thing that can happen in a horror movie is when someone's like fingernail pulls back. Like I can watch yes. people get like their legs cut off and like their heads cut off. But if someone is like clawing at a wall and their fingernail peels back, I'm out. Like I just, that freaks me out. I, I have a physical reaction to it. Yes. Just, even talking about it, I feel like 10 times more tense than I did like five seconds ago. Is it a fingernails thing particularly or is it like the anatomy? Like, because I saw Gerald's game, not thinking that it was a horror, I thought it was Ooh. a horror. And that scene <laughs> where she removes the handcuff. And that, slides the skin off of her hand. That's, uh, that scene's still in my head. <laughs> yeah, that, that also had a reaction for me. But for the most part, it's like specifically fingernails. I don't know okay. what it is. I don't know where that came from, but like, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. No, like, fair enough, fair enough. So in the first article I read um, of yours, which, which I mentioned was, we deserve to see more black vampires on the screen. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned a few iconic vampire films that were um, um, created in America, such sure. as Black Blackula, which came out in 1972. So, you know what? I haven't seen Blackula because it's not available in like the UK Amazon so I haven't seen it well like on Prime I could buy it but I right yeah <laughs> but but I have seen Ganja in here so we'll talk about a bit about that okay. one afterwards but you know so Blackula was the first one and do you want to give us a little I know what it's about but do you want to tell us like tell me about um like the synopsis around it Sure. So um, it's basically the story of like a, an African prince of a tribe that isn't, I mean, they made it up for the movie that doesn't exist, but he is basically going to, uh, to the castle Dracula with his, with his wife at, to ask Dracula to kind of uh, help stop the slave trade. Okay. And, and in doing so, uh, Dracula reveals himself to be racist because it's not enough that he's like a blood sucking monster. He also has to be a oh. bigot. Of course. <laughs> of course. Like, this is the 18th century. It's like 1700s, right? Like he did that? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and then so uh, basically Blackula is like, hey, that's not cool. And Dracula says, I don't care. He bites him and like locks uh -huh. him in a coffin and then locks uh, his wife like, in, this, in the crypt with him to die. 
Um, and then it jumps forward to like the 1970s where uh, two men are buying the castle because they're gonna fix it up and they find Blackula, he escapes and oh my gosh. shenanigans ensue. <laughs> oh wow, gosh. <laughs> Honestly, I just, Blackula is an iconic film. And I want to like, I don't know if you know, like, do you know like, the reason why it was made? As in like, what was happening at the times that, that people thought, like, was this the beginning of the black exploitation for the films where, you know, they just thought, let's blackify everything, you know? Sure. Yeah, that's a lot of, um, that's a lot of what it was, was just exactly what you said, was it was mm. like in the exploitation era, the black exploitation era. And what was happening there was that there was a lot of uh, white producers that were um, taking like black actors and black like stories and making these black exploitation films, which is yeah. where that name comes from, because it was originally just kind of exploitation to try and make money off of black people. Yeah, for certain like but then, audience, yeah. Exactly. And then like, but then black people started just taking it and, and doing that. So like mm. Blackula is like one of those films where, um, and I didn't see Blackula for like the longest time. Yeah. And because what I, I just assumed because I was, I don't know, I just didn't look into it, but it was going to be like a parody. Like it was going to be like a comedy yeah. of some kind, but it isn't. It real it's really not. And it has a lot of like really interesting and like, like, kind of forward-thinking themes. It's like a product of the 70s, so it has mm. a lot of like stuff that we don't necessarily think of as being too PC anymore. Yeah, like now, but, yeah. Yeah, course, but, but like, but like it, I was very surprised by it. It took itself very seriously. It cast Black actors in roles that you don't usually, especially at the time, didn't really see like scientists. And yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it, it was it was really progressive. Even like the the people that bought Dracula's castle, they're two homosexual men, but they're not this played. Is the wow. Yeah, and they're not played for laps. Like they are just played straight, like straight. They're just homosexual men looking to buy a vampire castle, like as you do. And like I was like, okay, this is all right. Yeah. And like, yeah, like they talk about them later, and like there's people that like express like bigotry towards them. Like they mm. talk about them in their like their tone and like their language is bigoted but like those characters aren't mistreated there's like these are them these are and yeah. they're interracial which is also like what the what <laughs> oh, okay so many layers <laughs> so many like wow okay yeah yeah it, it did a lot I, I i and i i feel bad that i only like saw it like in the last couple of years yeah honestly i think i don't know if it's the name but i think because you you see the name it's the Dracula, name and you just think this is going to be some like dark comedy about yeah. I don't exactly. know some kind of blackface Dracula or something exactly and that's what it feels like like when you see the name Blackula it's like oh yeah okay so it's black Dracula that's <laughs> hilarious like yeah. good, good one and like that they say that name like one time in the movie and it's like as Dracula's putting him in in like the coffin after he like bit him and he's just like yeah. you're gonna be blackula and then he puts the lid on the coffin but you never hear that name again and the rest of the time they refer to him as his like african name oh. and it's just like and so it kind of has another like little layer there where it's like he's he has this like title put on him by this like bigoted racist vampire and then yeah. he just shirks it and just never uses it no one ever uses it for the rest of the film god that's like that is so amazing i think wow so like Moving on, I want to move on like, a little bit to like, the sure. next film that came the year after, which was Ganja and Hess. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, I've seen that, I saw that one, like, fairly recently, and I really, I really did enjoy it, because it was, 
it's so it's so different yeah definitely so like what do you like first of all like why do you think it was made almost after like immediately after because that was made in 1973 do you think the popular do you think like the whole popular reaction to black killer made a slightly low-key um movie producer production make Gandrin Hess? I think so. Like, I think it was, I think it just got a little easier when, when it, when uh, Blackula came through. And it's like, mm. okay. Um, uh, the creator of it, um, I believed it was William Gunn, who was a playwright. Yeah, and, he's um, also in it, right? I, th- I believe he is, yes. Um, is he in it? Yeah, he is. He, is. The, he plays George. The, yeah. Yeah, so he, he, like, didn't want to make a Black vampire film, if I recall correctly. Um, but he, like, wanted, he accepted doing it because he wanted to do it as a metaphor for addiction. Yes. And so that's I kind of where... I definitely saw that. Yeah, so, and then I think, but like I said, like, I think Blackula kind of paved the way for that and made it more acceptable and more um, approachable as a project. Do you feel like... Um like the, you mentioned the theme of addiction and that, that was like, and that was quite ex, sort of explicit as well because there was a monologue at the start of the film about, you know, being addicted to blood. Do you think mm-hmm. there were, I think another another topic that I sort of picked up was, you know, towards the end, the Dracula is, he feels like bad, not, not Dracula, yeah. but the, the black vampire, essentially, he feels like bad for what he's doing. And yeah, he, you know, like he kills himself because he's just like I don't want to be like this anymore. Mm-hmm. Where, whereas, you know, um, gosh, I shouldn't know which one's which. It's Glenn Jonas Hess. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Hess, Hess was the uh, the man, I believe. Yeah, Ganja. Oh my god, I shouldn't know. But Ganja was the woman, so she. Yes. Okay. She Hess, became, Hess was the man. Okay, great. Yeah, so Hess eventually um, kills himself out of you know just I don't want to be with this curse right. anymore after going to a church which i found like quite interesting you know a vampire is in a church mm-hmm. yeah. you know like i think it's great that the film sort of steered away from the traditional like white centric depiction oh, yeah. of vampire which is like you know can't be in front of the crucifix can't be in the light because it's just it allows like creativity in terms of yeah. how else this very powerful being can like can be depicted as you know like if he's so powerful maybe to an extent he can defy certain things that a vampire normally can't do you know absolutely and like for like a freaking being of like power like a vampire is they have a lot of limitations yeah i mean it's, in the right? traditional sense yeah but like but there's so much to play with there and i think people usually like will try to play by a certain set of rules because it's expected yeah while ignoring the fact that vampires aren't real and they can they can be open to interpretation. Right. And there's so many different. That's what that article was basically about. But yeah. I wrote was just like there's so many different vampire myths. It really doesn't make sense to hone in on just that one vampire myth. Right. Like there's so much to work with. You could make a completely different film, but it's always the same one. It seems. Right. Because you know, like in both films, like you know, the vampires are out in the sun. You yeah, know, like, which is so nice to see. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's like just that in itself. It's like, oh, that's refreshing. Yeah, like oh, yeah, like, like sunlight. So <laughs> no, that is like, like I said, that is refreshing. So, 
another article I want to talk about is Buffy is black now. So, mm-hmm. so I obviously everyone knows about the traditional, well, the older Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, series that was out 1997 to 2003. Mm-hmm. So, you obviously mentioned the importance of having a black um, Buffy in the reboot. But mm-hmm. what do you think about the whole horror trope of killing off black characters almost it's, in the first half an hour? Yeah, um, it's it's a, it's a it's a trope for a reason, um, and it's mm. just like people keep using it. Um, I actually I had another article um, on my blog called "The Commodification of Black Bodies in Horror," Ooh. and. Um, basically what it what i'm what i'm talking about there and what it's like what you'll notice in like older horror movies not so much like in recent ones because they're kind of trying to course correct on that yeah but but it's basically they use um black men specifically uh as tools mm. in horror yeah. instead of like characters so oh. they're there they have the same kind of usefulness to the story as like a flashlight or a cell phone because yeah. like you have the flashlight so you can see in the dark, you have a cell phone so you can contact people if you need to, and you have the black man who's going to be the strongest, most aggressive member of the party usually. So he's like the, the defender. Yeah, would, you, you, would you, you say he's reckless, he's brave in a reckless way as well? That's why you said defender? Usually, yeah. usually, and usually he'll like have this um, attitude where he wants to have all the control. Yeah. And, and then that'll get played up to the point where it's like the, the white protagonist is seen as being much more reasonable. Yeah. And, and so Logical. as the movie, yeah, as the movie goes on, like they'll start to take away those things that make you feel safe. So like the flashlight battery will go dead mm. and then there'll be no cell phone service or the cell phone battery will die. And then they'll take away by killing usually the black man. Yeah. And then it's like, and then the audience is intended to feel like, oh my God, it's so real now. Like, what are, what are they going to yeah. do? They've lost all of their stuff to help defend against this monster this, like, yeah. or whatever. And so he's lumped into that like stuff that you'd like find in a backpack to help you find your way out of the woods. And that, yeah. Yeah. And instead so of, instead and of him as a person, as a, or him, he, she or he, or, or they as a person, you know, it's more mm-hmm. like I've lost, oh no, they've lost this commodity. Like, what now? Yeah. Yeah, and it's a, and it's a, usually like his lack of intelligence will be played up to an extent, and like just to, to basically, again by comparison, show that no, we don't need like just brute force and whatever to beat mm. this monster. We need to use our intellect, and it's like, and in doing so, yeah. it's just basically like in a very subtle way telling you that this black person does not have this, but this white protagonist does have the intellect to deal with it, and so it's used to just play up lift the white character up um, while just subtly putting down the black character. And that's why they kill him off. It's to make the situation more dire and to ramp up the tension. You know, where we left off, we were talking about, you know, the whole horror trope of killing off black characters. So like Mm -hmm. my final few questions is like, how hopeful are you with black representation? representation in horror like moving forward because you know we have like the Jordan Peele's doing Get Out and mm-hmm. Us we have Mia DaCosta who's directing the new Candyman so like what do you think about this new generation 
I'm really hopeful about it. Like a lot of the, um, a lot of the like kill the black character tropes mm. have, were kind of like petering off like at the start of like, you know, like the 2000s yeah. um, because a lot of rappers started to produce horror films. And yeah. so like we had a lot of like black influence in the writer's room. So that became more and more um, through like movies like Bones, like starring Snoop Dogg. And then yeah. like, um, I think it was Halloween four or five or I don't know, maybe it was six, but like Busta Rhymes is like in it, like doing, oh, wow. doing karate, like <laughs> against Michael Myers. It's, it's pretty wild. It's not very good, but like, it's still like, okay, guy, like he like, you're doing, you're holding okay. your own. Yeah. <laughs> but like with, like I said, like with Jordan Peele and like Nia DaCosta, um, I think they're, they're really carving out a path mm. and like, especially with Get Out, like, winning, yeah. like, the Oscar for, like, uh, Best Original Screenplay. Yeah. Like, that's, like, unheard of for a horror movie in general, let alone one with that kind of, like, Black representation and commentary in it. Right. So, okay. like, I think right. going forward, it's just going to open up more and more. Yeah. And I think more and more people are going to get a shot. And I think what's been happening with, like, the recent unrest and protests against police... Um, there's been a lot of, I mean, and even if it's just for like visibility sake, it's still mm. happening where there's like a lot of like production companies and like editors and stuff like that. It's like, we want to hear more black voices and stuff yeah, like that. So yeah. it's like opening up. Do you feel like, like not maybe if you know personally, but do you know if there is like a space like where there are black creatives who want to venture into like um, horror, horror movies essentially like other people yeah. out there that are like you know I have these I have these ideas, you know, pay me for sure. Let's do it. Yeah, there's a lot of um, uh, collaboration on on Twitter. Um, mm. Like there's like a Black Horror Alliance um, that you oh, can wow. follow on there. Like yeah, uh, uh, um, there's like Black literary magazines that focus on horror and science fiction, and wow. uh, a lot of the people that run in those communities like they're more than they're like on the same level. They're, they're, they're wanting their stuff to get out there. So like we'll critique each other and like look at each other's work mm. and try and like make it better and punch it up. They have like all sorts of like articles they've written. It's like how to like submit, where to submit, what you need to watch out for in terms of like contracts and things like that. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of, lot more resources popping up for that exact purpose. Oh, wow. So are you like, I'm, I'm assuming because you know so much, are you hoping, you know, to be picked up? <laughs> Like with your own creative horror film? I, I, I am. Um, I actually, I don't do any, uh, I haven't done any screenwriting, but I do kind of want to get into it. Um, it's, wow. I do a lot of um, short stories Yeah. Um, that I've, I've written. I've not been published in anything, but like I said, they're like more people are opening up their magazines to like yeah. voices of color with a specific focus. So that's really cool. Um, so like I do my analysis posts like with my my essays and mm. reviews yeah and then I do short fiction that's less known but it's still it's it's around <laughs> no no I say good I guess like final question what is your favorite horror film of it is can it is Candyman um <gasps> really? the original I, I, heard, I heard it was like so, so scary like oh it's so good so like Candyman I I love it for so many reasons uh Tony yeah. Todd um is an absolute icon in that movie um his portrayal is amazing his the the character itself is like not your typical slasher like yeah he mm. has a hook for a hand but like yeah. it's not like other because like you have like 
your like Michael Myers, who was like a psychotic kid who grew up into a psychotic adult. You have mm. like Freddy Krueger, who was like a, a child murderer who like was burned alive in a warehouse and then came back as a weird vengeful dream ghost. <laughs> but then you have Candyman, who was an artist and the son of a slave who fell in love with uh, a white woman and then her father like basically rounded up a posse and lynched him. Mm. And and then he became this like vengeful spirit. And that movie has like so many themes, like in terms of like how folklore shapes our reality, mm. gentrification and its effects on like the inner city and and just there's so much going on. And it's terrifying. Because like even if you haven't seen the movie, like you know, like you still feel weird about saying Candyman in a mirror. It, yeah, definitely. And th- that's such a weird influence. Like, if you can not have seen the movie and still feel that fear, and it's just, like, so weirdly woven into, like, pop culture. Yeah. Uh, I just love it. It's so good. Because, I mean, I've definitely heard of the term, but, you know, I think with the newest reboot, that's what made me more familiar with, like, the character. So, like, how, what are you hopeful? I'm, I'm assuming you've seen the new trailer. How are you yes. like, feeling, you know, about, you know... New portrayal. I'm very excited. Yeah, I think I think Nia DaCosta has really good vision. Like yeah. she has she has an eye. And like when that first trailer dropped, it was just like visually just stunning. Yeah, like I was oh my God. blown yeah. away by it. Blown away. And then that second trailer with the shadow, the, the paper shadow puppets. Yes. And oh, first of all, I'm so happy that that was not CGI. That was all people actually moving puppets. And when I found that out, it kind of blew my mind. Wow. Yeah. And it's a, it's like a, it's a performance collective from Chicago that just did it. They had them do that and it came out so good. And, but I think it's really going to treat, it's going to treat the source material really well, but I think it's really going to like drive home a bunch of new ideas into yeah. the folklore of Candyman, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. No, honestly, I feel like before I watch, oh, I'm scared of, <laughs> I'm so scared of horror. <laughs> but I feel like before I have to watch that one just to support, you know, because you do. Oh, I gotta I watch to. it. But then yep, before I watch gotta... that one, I should watch the first one, not not at night. Mm-hmm. Just watch it with like all the windows open, so I know I'm safe and away from I any would... mirrors. <laughs> I, oh yeah, you're gonna want to do that. I would, I would definitely, I would check out the original. Like, yeah. yes, it, it it is scary, um, but man, it is such a, it's so strange that movie got made. Like, it's there's so many, so many aspects of it that I feel like studios just wouldn't go for, and yeah. like they just went for it, and then like they got like a score by Philip Glass that it's intensely creepy and like. It's just so good. And like they did such wild stuff to make that movie. So just yeah, one of my favorites. Um, like one like fun fact that I like, read was that, you know, they, the, the bees that they used, there were only 12 hour bees. So essentially mm-hmm. hope, in, the, in the hope that it wouldn't sting the actor so much, but obviously some of them were still out there like properly like, stinging him. So yeah, they grew the bees to be a certain age so that they would yeah. look like full-size bees but not be able to sting. Yeah. And then they put them in his mouth because that was that was the scene. The scene is him like rearing back and he has just a mouth full of like living bees. Oh my and God. 
he they like they like I said they were like they specially bred them so they would be like a certain age and not be able to sting, which yeah. didn't quite work. And he got stung like sixteen times or something like that. But he's a trooper, so it's fine. Like he just went with it. I guess oh, it's cool. No, that that is like so amazing. Like I mean, you mentioned about you know like certain things that they were talking about. Like, you wouldn't think a motion picture would do. Like what examples can you like? Just like the focus on like gentrification, yeah, and like and um, like having showing the inner city city in the way that they did, mm. and like they they really did a lot to to show that it was like yeah, it can be scary, but they also did a lot to humanize it. Like there's yeah, a, um, there's definitely like a character in it who's like just a single mom. She has a baby. She lives in the in the tenement building, and but like we go in and she's like, we see all the scary stuff outside, but then we see her and we see like her baby. She's like working, a working mom. And then there's mm. like a, a little kids that hang out in the hallway. And it's just, it's not a lot that, it's nothing that Hollywood likes to focus on yeah. at all. And then the same thing with like giving him like a tragic backstory, like, and how he was, he was wronged. And like I said, it's like not like all the other slashers where they're like, they were kind of like just jerks to begin with. And like, then they died and became like magic jerks. Yeah. And but like, he was like a, a painter. And like, and so when you, when you think about him and having that past life and how he is now, it's just like hate and like bigotry just corrupted him. And like, he is this, just the, this force now that. Yeah. Like a manifestation of that yeah a manifestation of that hate and like it's such a like that's way deeper than any other slasher goes and it's so weird that like if you ask people i don't know if like i consider it a slasher he's got a hook he's slashing yeah he's coming out of mirrors he's he's, you know he's a slasher but like no one ever brings him up when you ask like what's the your favorite slasher and i don't understand it he's not Mm. even in the conversation a lot of the time yeah yeah I don't know. Yeah. Oh gosh. No. Thank you. Like, thank you so much for like joining me today. And like, I had a great time like talking with you. And yeah. yeah, I like, I love like doing this because I think you can tell that I'm not really like a horror enthusiast, but I love it because I'm like learning more about like a, a genre and a side to media and to like yeah. create, you know, creativity in general that I'm not like so familiar with. So like, I love, I love like speaking with you and hearing like like from you and like because you know a lot. And that's great. So thank I, you so much. Absolutely. It was an absolute pleasure to be here. Like I yeah. really enjoyed talking with you. It was it was a good time. Thank you. And like, you know, you know, this is gonna be recorded and like posted online. So do you wanna like just <laughs> shout yourself out, plug yourself, you know, where can we find you? Like in your blog, for example. Oh, yeah, sure. Um well uh you can find me on uh Twitter, um first first and foremost. I'm uh my handle's formaldehyde face. Um, so, and it's, it's formaldehyde face with no A in face. So just F-C-E, all one word. Okay. Hopefully that makes any kind of sense. And then, um, you can also find my blog at, uh, fingernails.wordpress.com. Great. Thank you so yeah. much. Absolutely. Like Thank I said, you. it was an absolute pleasure. No worries. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I had a great time speaking with Andrew and I really hope you were able to take something from this episode, whether that's you wanting to create your own black horror content or perhaps engaging in the ones that are currently available. 
I'm so grateful to Andrew for agreeing to be a guest on the show and I really hope this also encourages you as a listener to also put yourself forward to be a guest, which you can if you email me at bythefire.mail at gmail.com. Be sure to rate and comment on Apple Podcasts and follow on Spotify. You can use the hashtag BTFpod so we can continue the conversation online and I look forward to you joining me for the next episode. Also, don't forget to follow at bythefire underscore pod on Instagram and Twitter, as well as bythefire on Facebook, where I regularly upload proverbs from African, Caribbean countries, as well as countries in the Americas. Last Thursday on the 1st of October was the 60th anniversary of Nigeria's Independence Day. And of course, what did I do? Upload a Nigerian proverb. And this proverb states, a pig that is used to wallowing in the mud looks for a clean person to rub against. So tell me, what does that mean? Let me know on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast and I hope to catch you on the next one, which will be next week. And actually, before I sign off, it is Black History Month in the UK. So I feel like this would be a really great time to support black content creators such as myself because... I'm out here doing this all by myself, I've bought my own equipment, I'm doing this from my room whilst at university so it would be really great if you would just listen to this and have a share or maybe even recommend someone who might find this interesting. This content is for everyone to enjoy and I'm just getting started. Bye!